Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, and I welcome you once again to Church of the Good Shepherd. I'm glad you are here, especially if you are a visitor. I hope you won't uh, rush off. We often uh, love to greet you and get to know you. We have a time of refreshments after the service, so we hope you would stay behind and give us a chance to uh, um, uh, know who you are and for you to know who we are. I don't know if you noticed the theme throughout all the passages. Is uh, really That's why I've entitled my uh, sermon today, Never Give Up. Uh, but in particular, I'd like us to look at the uh, a parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18, a parable on prayer. You know, and in it, uh, especially at the start, we see, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I actually took the uh, uh, title from the uh, New Living Translation, uh, translation of this particular verse, where he says, they should always pray and never give up. But let's be honest, right? It's often tempting to give up on prayer. I don't know if this graphic is a man waving or he's <laughs> waving goodbye or you know, he's trying to grab for help. But we often find that uh, we wonder, does prayer make any difference? If we are honest, sometimes we may think there's no power in prayer. Or we may have for ourselves, you know, as we look back in our own life, a whole catalogue of unanswered prayers. And it's tempting to say, you know, oh, prayer maybe is reserved for only those who are super Christians or saints, right? I'm just average or maybe I'm below average. You know, maybe prayer doesn't work for me. I believe Jesus taught this lesson on prayer because he wanted to debunk that myth and to teach us, you know, how sometimes faulty thinking can affect us in terms of our confidence in prayer and our willingness to actually engage in the exercise of prayer. So let's dive into this uh, story in, in um, Luke 18. And I want us to look at especially at um, um, verses 4 and 5. It says, Though I neither fear, this is the judge speaking, right? Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not continually beat me down by her continual coming. You know, and um, in some ways, you, I wonder if it's like uh, the Proverbs say, right? A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. You know, you look at it and you wonder, is it because she's the ultimate... Um, um, I used this yesterday, <laughs> sorry wife. <laughs> ultimate Karen. <laughs> Not meaning her, of course, but you know how in colloquial terms they talk about a woman who you know, always complains and then tries to get her way by complaining. You know, is this what we are seeing here in this scripture? Well, to understand the practice of prayer as Jesus taught it, it's important for us to look at these two characters in the parable. On the one hand, we have what is the judge. And you know, the title in our Bibles often talk about him as the unjust judge. But in this case, in my Bible, it talks also about the persistent widow. And so let's look at these two characters. Because one of the ways in which um, um, uh, people taught in Jesus' day was they used a compare and contrast method. 
Yesterday, I was speaking to mostly young people and all of them understand that compare and contrast and they hate it because, you know, you read that question in uh, uh, the exam, you know, they're asking you a very sweeping question to see how much you've actually absorbed of all the material, right? And uh, in a sense, that's what Jesus is trying to see here. We look at the judge and Scripture tells us that he... uh, Oops... Run too far ahead. He neither feared God nor respected man. If you think about that, this twin, you know, fearing of God and respecting man is what we had just gone through right now, liturgy, the summary of the law. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, isn't it kind of ironic that this judge was anti law? He was against the law. He neither feared God. No respected man. Now, if you understand, in the ancient Near East, when Jesus lived, you know, there were two great motivations in life. Number one, you did things because you feared God. You understood that there was a God who was sovereign over all the earth and over our lives, and that if we stepped out of line, we were in danger of being judged. We were in danger of falling afoul of His principles of how we ought to do things. And therefore, you know, oftentimes, because there was a fear of God, there was a deep respect for His principles, there was a desire then to walk that line. Well, this judge didn't fear God. But the other end of the scale was that, you know, they lived in a culture not unlike ours here in Singapore, an honor-shame culture, right? They do things because they are worried about shaming themselves or shaming their family name or shaming... uh, um, the, the profession in which they uh, uh, represent. You know, but unfortunately, when uh, uh, Jesus said he didn't respect uh, uh, men, it means he right? He would do things with no consideration about his face. He's shameless, uh, is, is literally what Jesus is saying. That he was a law unto himself. And maybe even he was a person who only looked out for his own self-interest, right? As, as uh, we look at the passage, he goes on to say in verse uh, 4, that for a while he refused, with the implication that maybe, I'm reading a subtext, right? Maybe there was some self-interest involved. Either the adversary of this woman uh, was his good friend and he was siding him, or it could be there was a kickback that came to him that he benefited from this particular uh, injustice that was being um, um, a- acted upon this widow. But no matter how you look at it, you see that this was not a character you would want uh, you know, as your best friend in any way, shape or form. Right? He was unsavory to the extreme. But let's look then at the widow. Who was this widow? Now understand, again, in the ancient Near East, unfortunately, because of the, the, the uh, order of the day, women were not given their day in court. If a woman wanted to bring a case against someone, she would have her husband or some other close male relative represent her in the court of law. She was a widow, so obviously she had no husband. But the fact that there was no one else to stand up for her also implies that she had no father, she had no brother, she had no uncle, she had no cousin, male cousin, no son. Nobody who would stand for her. She was all alone. 
Literally, if you think about it, she was helpless. That's why she resorted to just, you know, day and night. I can picture this woman, she couldn't go into the courts. She would stand outside the courts and every day as the judge walked down the steps of the courts, she would be pleading her case with him, you know, wailing out loud, give me justice, I need justice, help me, help me. If you don't help me, nobody will help me. And you can imagine, you know, the cacophony that was going on as, as this would be happening. And, you know, Jesus wanted to point out that in many ways, uh, we are nothing like that. And that's why we struggle with prayer. First and foremost, understand this. You know, he said, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then after that, contrasted it against, you know, how God acts. In the first place, we must understand that God is not an unrighteous judge. He is a righteous God. He is love. The Bible tells us that God is love, first and foremost, but God is also just. And that God is ultimately for us. That the God that we worship is nothing like this judge. Therefore, when we come to Him in prayer, we don't have to you know, uh, try and bend His will to uh, be for us. That He's already inclined towards us. That's the God in whom we worship. That's the God to whom we pray. But if you stop and think about ourselves in comparison to the widow, you know, I don't think many of us can really identify with her because we don't find ourselves helpless. And I wonder if it's maybe because we are perceive ourselves as not helpless, which is why so often we find ourselves prayerless. You know, you look across the room, and most of us, I think, uh, I know you, and I would guess that you all have good jobs. The vast majority would, but have a good family, good degrees. You certainly attend a good church. <laughs> and you have good friends around you. But if you scratch the surface and you really dig into deeper into our lives, is that really true? Are we really, you know, is everything going so well that we have no need for prayer? But if you look at this uh, passage, you know, he talks about the fact that God will answer and he answers swiftly. But the question he asks at the end is telling because I think Jesus was putting his finger on the problem we have in prayer. Most of us, I wouldn't say all, but the vast majority of us. He ends by saying, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. God will give justice to those who cry out speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Now remember, He started telling the parable because He wanted them to always pray and to never give up. Why does He at the end talk about is he going to find faith on earth when the Son of Man comes again? Remember the context. If you read the end of chapter 17, just before this passage, Jesus was talking about end times. Talking about the fact that, you know, there will be tribulation, there will be trials, there will be suffering. Part of the, the, the price we pay for following Christ is that we will have trouble, right? In John's Gospel, it says, uh, in this world there's much trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That God promises to 
be with us and to sustain us through it. But why was Jesus' conclusion a question? Will he find faith on the earth? May I submit to you that so often our anemic prayer life stems from a lack of faith. That very often we are prayerless because we are faithless. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, we give up because we don't have a clear view of who God is. Neither do we have a clear view of who we are before this Almighty God. I want to share with you an illustration I came across years ago, something they call the, either Gospel Grid or the Cross Chart. It's originally done by a, an organization called the World Harvest Mission. But in it, it illustrates, you know, what ought to happen in the Christian life. At the point of conversion, you know, we begin to understand who God is. And as you grow on in time, you ought to mature as a Christian and have a greater growing awareness of God's holiness. But at the same time, as you grow in the Lord, as you, you know, uh, um, study His Word, as you begin to allow the law of God to examine your heart, you ought to also grow with a growing awareness of your own flesh and your own sinfulness. And into that, that's where we need the cross. Your vision of the cross ought to grow as you grow in maturity. The, that's why, you know, you will notice every time I stand in the pulpit, I preach the cross, I preach the gospel, I preach the finished work of Jesus on the cross because we need to have a, a, a correspondingly increasing view of who God is. Otherwise, as we grow in maturity, the gap becomes a problem. And this is an illustration of how the gap becomes a problem. See, so often we sometimes think the gospel is just something good news for those who are uh, crossing that line of faith, becoming a Christian. Right? It's, it's the ABCs of the Christian faith. But that as you progress on, you need to move on to other things. And so the cross remains the same size in your life. And what happens then is that a, gra a gap begins to grow. First and foremost, a gap results in performance. What do I mean? Because you uh, try to ignore this understanding of God's holiness, you tend to dumb down the law. And this is where legalism kicks in, isn't it? Where uh, a legalist actually reduces the severity of the law of God to pretend that he can or she can do it. That we can fulfill all the law and pretend as if we are righteous in the eyes of the law by performing. And that's where that gap comes in. But the other end of the scale is where we don't have an increasing awareness of sin or we ignore this increasing awareness of sin and it results in pretense. That's why, you know, people sometimes complain, and it's not uh, an untrue complaint, that the church is full of hypocrites. That we pretend we wear a mask. We pretend that we are better than we truly are. You see, when we come to God in prayer, God wants the real us to meet with the real God and to be honest about it. This is the picture which I uh, picked up 
which is derivative of that uh, illustration which comes from World Mission, World Harvest Mission, uh, from a book entitled uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Good friend of mine this week, I was talking to him and he actually uh, pointed me to this book, so I immediately downloaded you know, a Kindle and I've started reading it. It's an amazing book on prayer because it's simple and accessible. But he points out that, you know, you notice, right, the more mature Christians seem to pray a lot more. And often in our mind, we think, oh, they pray a lot more because they're a lot more mature. And so they must be more holy. Therefore, they can pray more. Actually, when you understand this uh, illustration, the reason they have to pray more is because they need God more. They understand their utter helplessness, their true sinfulness and God's holiness, and the gap has grown so wide. How can they not pray? And, you know, you read saint after saint after saint, those who've written, you know, uh, uh, people's lives. Someone like Mother Teresa, for example, she was very aware of her limitations. People called her a great woman, but she would always deflect that because she didn't believe that to be true. She knew even all the good works that she did, she still fell short. And it's true of so many of the saints that we look up to and we uh, uh, hold out as examples. And so that is the issue. As mature Christians, we need to become praying Christians, not because we are more holy than everyone else, but because we are aware of our lack of holiness compared to a holy God. Aware of our helplessness compared to who God is. You know, that's precisely why Jesus was often found in prayer. Because He said, I can only do what my Father tells me to do. He was totally dependent upon God in His life. That we need to come and pray as we are, in our sins, in our need. See, so often I've talked to people and sometimes they say, oh, I can't pray, Pastor, because, you know, I don't think I'm worthy to enter into God's presence to pray. That mentality is something like what I encountered when I was on my trip uh, to the US. I was uh, telling the group, as one day we were rushing off to uh, attend a church because this was a church I was meeting with and so we were attending the service and I couldn't find something so I threw everything out of the suitcase to try and <laughs> uh, you know, find what I needed to, to get ready for church and to go for church. And just as we were leaving uh, the hotel room, I put the do not disturb sign uh, on the door. Uh, my wife said to make clear that it was me who messed up the room. Her side of the room was very neat. Okay. <laughs> Why did I put a do not disturb sign? I mean, shouldn't you have housekeeping come in and clear the room? I was embarrassed about my mess. So I didn't want the uh, housekeeping to come in and see what a messy person I was. So I put the, <laughs> you know, wait until the next day I clean up the room a little bit. Then, okay, let them come and clean the room. Anyone identifies? <laughs> I know some of you do. But, you know, it's like that. We think to God, God, you know, I'm too messy. I can't come before you. As if God is afraid of our mess. The God that we worship lives and knows who we are. And He is here to clean up those messes. That's why the only way to pray is to come as the real you. Otherwise, you know, we become like the Pharisees that Jesus condemned, putting on a mask when they came in prayer instead of recognizing their true state before God and pretending to be something they were not. 
I'm going to say a statement which uh, didn't originate with me, so I'm going to blame him. Brian Allred came last week for Movement Day, and he shared, and he gave me uh, his book uh, to read, When People Pray. And incidentally, I'm going to give out this book because we had 20 copies left over. It's available outside at the info counter. If you want to grab a hold of it, please uh, help yourself. But I only have one caveat, all right? If you take the book because it's given to you free, read it, read it well, but pass it on to someone else. Share, good things must share, okay? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's very accessible because it's powerful. It's based on his own testimony of how the Lord in desperate circumstances taught him how to pray and, and, and gave him a ministry of mobilizing prayer, uh, 24-7 prayer all over the United States. And he's got a, um, a desire now to get the Christians all over the globe to pray for all the non-Christians. Pray for all is what he's part of. And that's why he was here last week to share with us a little bit about it. But he said this statement. I say it because otherwise you all get angry with me. <laughs> he said this, there is no power in prayer. You heard me? No, I, I didn't misspeak. I said there is no power in prayer. Why? Because he likened prayer to a car key. The key itself is not the power that drives the car. The key gives you access to the engine that you can ignite which ultimately allows the car to move. So his point was this. Prayer is more about the object of prayer, that is Jesus, than it is about the outcome of prayer. That when we pray, it gives us access to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because the engine that moves mountains, the power that uh, causes things to change in our life is Jesus Christ. And prayer gives us access to that, which is why we pray, which is why we believe in the power of prayer, not in prayer itself, but the power that connects us, uh, that, that prayer connects us to, that is God Himself. I wonder, you know, what is the state of your faith? And I leave you with this question. Will he find faith in your heart when the Son of Man comes again? Who is your faith in? I was vulnerable yesterday with the young people. I'm going to be equally vulnerable with you. I pointed out that oftentimes we are prayerless because we don't see ourselves as helpless. And I want to admit to you, as your pastor, I acknowledge that I don't pray as much as I do, especially in the area of the sermon. Why is that? Because God's gifted me as a communicator. I know, don't doesn't mean I don't spend time preparing for the sermon. I spend a lot of time reading the text, doing my study, reading all kinds of books. You can tell that you know I, I bring it into the sermon. I spend time uh, doing that. But I realized as I was preparing this sermon that I'm oftentimes quite cursory in my prayers. I go through it and it's perfunctory. And the reason I find in myself a prayerlessness about my sermon is because I don't really depend upon God to preach the sermon. Because I have abilities that enable me to get up even if God were not here. Now, I'm not saying that God is not here and He's not speaking through His Word. 
Because despite the fact, you know, God uh, uh, can work through and uh, with anyone, you know, if there's any uh, humbling story in the Bible, it's the hum- uh, story of Balaam's donkey, right? <laughs> God could use a donkey to speak uh, to His people. So that's all I am, and I'm not taking any credit for what I'm saying, but I'm pointing out a reality in my life. That so often because I have some level of ability, I don't look to God for His enabling or His power to be at work. And I think, you know, I apologize to you as a congregation. I've robbed you of the power of what this could be. And obviously, I'm, I'm saying this because I want to do better. But I need to recognize that I am equally helpless despite the fact that God's gifted me in all these tremendous ways. Without Him, I am nothing. But I want you to consider this in your own life. Maybe you think yourself a pretty good parent. And you think your children are pretty well behaved. But you know, Karen and I have this uh, saying, we don't know what we don't know. I I know this about my own life. Uh, I was a pastor's son growing up. And I could um, do all the right things and say all the right things, but what was going on deep inside could be something else entirely. And as a parent, we don't know what we don't know. That oftentimes our strength can be our great weakness. That we ought to be a lot more uh, uh, um, on our knees to always pray and never give up. No matter how things are going. And that's, I think, also a song to the ears of those who are struggling in parenting. That ultimately we plug into the power of God when we pray for our children. And the same could be said for our uh, jobs and our careers, our studies, our role as a husband or a wife, as a child or as a parent. And I could go on and name all the things in our lives. Ask yourself the question, why do you not pray about certain things in your life? Is it because you believe you can do it on your own? And I hope the Lord today will disabuse you of that. Because the most capable human being to walk the face of the earth was Jesus. And Jesus was never prayerless. He was always found in prayer, no matter how busy. In fact, the busier he was, the more he made sure he got up early to set time aside to pray. And that's why, you know, recognizes he understood his need for God was total. Even though he was a son of God, because he was fully human also. That's why the Garden of Gethsemane was such a a trial for him, because he knew that on the cross he would hang there alone, and that the sins of the world put upon him would separate him from God. And why his desire was that this cup would pass from him, but because of who he was, because of who, uh, what he knew he needed to be for us, he did that nonetheless. This is the God in whom we place our trust, in whom we have faith. He is not an unrighteous judge. But folks, I hope this is not news to you. We are helpless widows. Which is why we need to always pray and never give up. Let's bow our heads in prayer.